Great. Hi, everyone. My name's uh, Pete Sinclair. I'm on the team here at Inspire St. James Clerkenwell. Um, let's bow our heads as we begin to pray that God would speak to us and that we would listen. Father, you speak and we should listen. So as we speak from your Bible now, as we hear your words, each of us, would we listen so that our hearts are changed, that you would transform our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Great, well, um, I don't know if uh, you folks uh, read the sports section of the newspapers. I must admit that I am a bit more of a culture section kind of guy myself. Um, but you won't have escaped any of our notice that um, recently a um, sports headline has overflowed into um, international uh, headlines. I'm speaking, of course, of the case of um, the rugby player Israel Folau, who recently made headlines by posting a rather controversial post on Instagram about God's judgment, the Bible, and sexual ethics. And it caused an absolute furore uh, on the Twitter sphere. Um, it, we won't go into specifics, but in brief, um, Israel Folau posted this post. He was disciplined uh, by the uh, rugby uh, official uh, organisations in Australia. Uh, he was condemned online, um, and um, you know, just the media really went after him. Um, so we won't get into specifics. I, I would recommend that you go and read a blog on Christians and sport that Pete has uh, written uh, that really kind of uh, grapples with some of the, the issues there. Um, but we won't get into specifics. What I want to do is just take that as a picture of what our, what our culture thinks about the Bible. Two responses. One response was from a rugby player in Britain called uh, Billy Vanipola, who liked the Instagram post. Um, he was then condemned, and in an apology statement, he said this, um, I'm very sorry if I've hurt uh, 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 people's feelings. My intention was to express my belief in the word of God. Compare that to James Haskell, another British rugby player, who compared people um, who believe uh, the Bible on uh, controversial topics uh, to bigots, compared them to Nazis, not just to Nazis, uh, but to Adolf Hitler uh, as well. Um, it's true, isn't it, that our culture um, is turning up on the pressure uh, on people who are uh, Christians who are devoted to God's word. So in the future, uh, it seems to be the case in our culture, in the future it's going to be okay um, if you're a Christian who is uh, mildly interested in God's word. It's going to be okay uh, for Christians who are historically connected to God's word but have really moved on. It might be okay for evangelicals, uh, evangelical Christians, as long as they're the type of evangelicals who don't bring up the Bible in awkward conversations and certainly don't post about it on social media. But there is one group it is not going to be okay for, it's going to get tougher for, and that, are, that is Christians or churches who are devoted to God's word. So, you see, we, Inspire St. James Clark, and we'll have a bit of skin in the game here. Here we are on our discipleship wheel. We've got the Bible. Our first value as a church is biblical preaching. And here we are having a mini-series, including a talk on being devoted to God's word. Maybe we should just find something else. Maybe we should take it off the discipleship wheel. Maybe we should take it out of our values as a church. After all, we've got on our discipleship wheel, if you've seen it, we've got a church, we've got prayer, we've got mission. They're all lovely things, aren't they? Church, community, friends, prayer, speaking to God himself, mission, it's exciting, get out there, reach the city. 
But the Bible, really? You see, the pressure is on us um, to be Christians who like the Bible, not love the Bible. We've got skin in the game. Now, um, I was at a conference a few years ago, and um, everyone was singing. We were singing a song about the Bible, and there were lots of kind of people who were singing and putting their hands in the air and, you know, doing all the kind of uh, typical actions. Um, there was one person who I, who I kind of witnessed out the corner of my eye, and he did something that I have never, ever seen anyone do since uh, or, or before. What he did was this. As the, as the, music, as the music, as the song crescendo, we were singing about the Bible, he just did this. Like that. It's like, and I was like, I was like stunned. This guy was just like, boom, the Bible. And I was like, whoa, what is this? What is this? And maybe, maybe you kind of think about that. You, if someone did that here this, morning, this afternoon, put them, the Bible in the air, you'd go, really? But as we heard Psalm 119 um, read out to us earlier, as the psalmist um, recites all these reasons that he loves God's word, and the beginning um, uh, line of, that su- of the psalm, uh, the section of the psalm that we had read, oh, how I love your law, you can imagine the psalmist picking up his Bible and getting it in the air and going, I love your law. I'm devoted to it. Maybe you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. This kind of Bible thing is a bit weird. Why would you ever be devoted to something like this? Maybe you're here, you've heard 101 uh, talks about the Bible. You know all the words, uh, you know all the things that we believe as Christians about the Bible, but it sounds just a bit emotional to you, devoted to God's Word. That's a bit over the top, isn't it? Wherever we're coming from, uh, in the next um, section of our service, as, as we look at what Timothy has to say for us, uh, and what ha- God has to say through Timothy, I want us to be convinced that like the psalmist, like that guy that I saw in that conference, that we should be having our Bibles in the air. Maybe not physically, don't do it later in the service, maybe. But at least in our hearts, singing with the psalmist, oh, how I love your law. And on that note, let's turn to Timothy uh, 14 to 17, about why we should be devoted to God's word. Now, just a bit of context for you. Timothy is a teacher who's been instructed and commissioned by Paul the Apostle to teach God's people. And what is he to teach? He's to teach what he has heard Paul teaching. Uh, The things Paul has been teaching in um, chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says, what you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. For us today, we know that Paul's writings um, are also uh, considered scripture. They've been put into our Bibles in the New Testament. Um, If you want to know why that is, then do come and grab me after the service and happily go through that. But Paul is saying, uh, pass on my teachings because they are scripture. And also the Old Testament, uh, the Jewish scriptures, uh, what Paul refers to in verse 15 as the holy scriptures. Timothy uh, has to pass on these things. Uh, Paul's teaching and the Old Testament, they constitute the whole gospel message, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so all scripture, as we read it here in 2 Timothy, for them today, Paul might be referring to just the Old Testament, um, but for us today, all scripture is the Old Testament and the New Testament, which is the teaching of the apostles, including Paul. And the instruction comes to Timothy from Paul there in verse 14. Did you see it as we uh, read it out? 
But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learnt and have become convinced of. Now, that is a bit of a boring verb, isn't it? Continue. Um, But actually, it has lots of uh, depth, and it's a profound thing that he's being asked to do. In the book, Paul is saying, uh, trust Paul's teaching about the gospel and the scriptures. Timothy, continue the crucial work of passing on Paul's teaching uh, publicly, no matter what the Twitter mob says. Timothy is called to guard God's word. He is not to change it, and throughout the book he's being told to put God's work to work in his life and in the the lives of those that he he meets and he preaches to. He's being told to continue to be devoted to God's word. And like us, continuing for Timothy here is going to be quite hard. The pressure is on Timothy. Um, Paul has just been chucked into prison and is suffering because of his teachings, And Paul says that's going to happen to all Christians. All Christians are going to experience some kind of uh, opposition because of what they believe. And in addition to that, um, there are people floating around in Timothy's time who are providing nice, cosy alternatives. Um, They don't teach the truth. They do teach something that sounds a bit like the truth, but it's kind of cosy and nice. And that context is not so far from us, is it? As Christians are suffering around the world, um, bombs uh, exploding in Sri Lankan churches, as we experience social media pressure in the West, um, as there are nice, cosy alternatives everywhere, how are we going to continue, like Timothy, to be devoted to God's word? How is Timothy going to stand on God's word? And I think there are at least uh, four motivators for Timothy to stand, to continue being devoted to God's word. So let's go through them. First one, very short. We should be devoted to God's word because it's been shown to be trustworthy. Now, I wonder if, as you read those verses, your mind um, jumped ahead to the slightly more kind of Christian-y sounding language that's going on there. Uh, You've got God-breathed, salvation, all those kind of things. Maybe your eyes kind of went immediately there, and we missed something that's quite surprising at the beginning of these verses. Paul's opening motivator to continue for Timothy is because you know from who you learnt it. His reasons to stick with the teaching starts with a person. Now, there's some debate about who this person that Paul is referring to is. Um, I think he's talking about himself, because that is the flow of this chapter. Uh, Paul is saying, Timothy, I've passed on my teachings to you. You know who you learned it from. That's me, Paul. And in verse 10, um, in the chapter 2, Uh, He's already said, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, patience, love and endurance, persecutions and suffering. So why is Paul so eager to remind Timothy of what Timothy has seen in Paul's life? Why does it matter? Because Paul wants to prove that he can be trusted. And why does it matter that Timothy trusts Paul? Why does it matter that we trust Paul? Well, because if Paul can't be trusted, then his works that go into the New Testament, uh, they're rubbished. They're not trustworthy either. But we can trust Paul, and we can trust his teachings, because Timothy knows from who he learnt the gospel, because he saw his life. Timothy uh, knows that Paul is in jail. Uh, He knows the sufferings that Paul has undergone, and yet Paul kept preaching the gospel. 
So Paul can't have any sneaky or ulterior motives because Paul clearly isn't after them. Uh, what could Paul stand to gain from suffering and then continuing to preach? Paul here is saying, look, what did I do it for? Did I do it for the chains? Did I do it for the cell? No, I did it because it's trustworthy, it's true. Paul is the real deal. And the, the message that Paul is carrying uh, is worked out through his life. So it's, it's the real message. Um, Timothy has seen Paul's life. He's seen his love, his patience and faith. He's seen the message take root in Paul's life and produce lots of fruit. Paul's life is consistent with what he's teaching. This is the truth. This is the real deal. We should be devoted to God's word because in the life of Paul, it's been proven to be trustworthy. If you're wondering if you can trust the New Testament and Paul's writings, look at his life. Definitely trustworthy. So that was a short point. Second point, we also ought to be devoted to God's word because it shows us salvation. Verse 15, why don't you read it with me? And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So, Timothy knows the Scriptures, he knows the Old Testament, and the Scriptures are able to wise him up. They're able to tell him everything he needs to know. They're able to give him the complete lowdown about Jesus Christ and the salvation that people can have through trusting him. This salvation is uh, mentioned earlier in the book, in chapter 1, verse 9. If you want to um, keep a finger in there and flip back to 1, verse 9, um, Paul says this, He has saved us. So this is the salvation. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So Jesus has brought to light, i.e. he has revealed, what we have been given by God, which is immortality and life, and no longer death. It's been destroyed forever. We see the root to immortality and life, and it's Jesus Christ. And how is it that death can be destroyed and life can be given forever? Well, in chapter 2, verse 8, God's king has come, he has died, and he has been raised to life, defeating death and sin. That's what we celebrated at Easter, wasn't it? Paul says, this is my gospel. Jesus brings salvation. So if you like what the Bible is, the Bible brings to light the fact that Jesus has brought to light rescue from death and sin. Let me say that again. The Bible brings to light the fact that Jesus has brought to light rescue from death and sin. Like the psalmist in, in Psalm 119, there's another section, the psalmist says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. So we can say that God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light for our path to show us the way in Jesus that we can come out of the darkness of death and into the light of life, and eternal life with God. Back when I was a, a student in um, Hull, uh, Hull does have a university in case you are wondering, 
um, I was walking back from the library um, one uh, night. Um, so this um, illustration is full of surprises for you. <laughs> and I was walking back to my home, um, which was on this tiny, dark, grimy cul-de-sac in Hull. And I kid you not, this, this street was called Blades Street. <laughs> okay? So just imagine this like cramped road. It's called Blades Street. It's like there's no light. No light gets in there the day, and it's darker at night. And off Blade Street, there were these tiny little alleyways, okay? They were like holes in, there were these terraced houses, there were like these holes in the wall. They were so thin. And they were, they were pitch black. And what you could do is you could go through these alleyways, pitch black, you could go back to the back of the terraced houses, turn off, and then there was another little alleyway, which was totally bricked up. So it was utterly, utterly dark. This evening, I was walking home, turned around, I could see quite a way behind me that there was this uh, lady coming back, clearly from a night out, she'd had too much to drink, and she was kind of wobbling all over the street. She, she was all over the place. So I went into my house, a couple of seconds later, just heard this kind of, like, cacophony of noise in the street. I went downstairs, consulted with the housemates, went outside. The girl's not there, but th th there is a screeching that is filling the entire Blade Street. And I realised what must have happened was that she'd gone down into the alleyway, and so I got out my kind of tiny uh, phone um, uh, uh, torch. It was before like the days of really like bright iPhone torches. It was like this BlackBerry, it was like emitting like one candle kind of light emittance or whatever. And, and I went down into this alleyway, and it got darker and darker as I went in further and further until I got. Um, uh, to the end of the first alleyway, turned the corner, even darker, turned into the walled section. I can't even see my hand in front of my face now. And, and I really, the girl is down there. She's got trapped down there in, the, in this alleyway. It's pitch black. And she's thrashing around. She's screaming, let me out, let me out. It's really distressing, actually. And I just say, I'm holding this tiny phone light. And I just go, are you okay? And she's like, ah! It's like cacophony of noise, like hits me, a wall of shrieking. And I'm like, I'm going to need a bigger torch. <laughs> so I went back to the street, called the police. The police rock up a few minutes later. They've got these serious torches. These things are like a million candlelight wattage or whatever. That, and they go down into the alleyway. And these things are like mini suns. They're, they're like light everywhere. I go back into the house. A few minutes later, the police come out, knock on the door. She's fine. She got stuck. She couldn't get out. It was dark. It's fine. She's been rescued. Friends, in the Bible, all people are like that girl. That's what the Bible says about us. We're trapped in darkness. If you're not a Christian here today, maybe you're like, no, I'm not. Um, but don't you, as you look around the world, our world, and you see what's going on, you see the devastation, um, you see the things that people are doing to one another in our societies, you see what we're doing to the environment, and you see just individuals with kind of apathy and a sense that we don't really know where we're going, we don't know how to live. Uh, maybe you actually too think we need some illumination. Well, God has given us a light to show us the way to rescue, and it's the Bible. It shows us the way of salvation, which is trusting in Jesus Christ. So if you're not a Christian here today, I encourage you to check it out. It's a torch that will sh light up the darkness 
and show you the way to salvation. And if you're a Christian today, this is the thing that has shown us our salvation, so let's be devoted to it. And as a church, um, there are people out there who are not believing in Jesus Christ. They are in darkness too. Our friends, our colleagues, um, our families maybe, not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are in darkness. And so as we go out there to meet with them, we need to take our torches with us. Because we've got to go into the, the, the world, the darkness, and we've got to say, I have a torch, I'm going to switch it on. Look, friends, this is the thing that's going to show you the route to rescue, which is Jesus. Someone once told me this phrase, and I think it's really helpful, so I'm, I'm going to share it with you. The Bible is not just the basis of our belief, it's also the means of ministry. Let me say that again. The Bible is not just the uh, basis of our belief. It's not just we read this and then we believe and then we go and do our own thing. It's also the means of ministry. So as we go out and minister to people, we take the Bible with us so that we can light up the darkness for them and show them the rescue that is in Jesus. Let's be devoted to God's word because it has shown us the way to salvation and because it's the only thing that can show other people to salvation too. Third thing to see, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed. Let's be devoted to God's word because it's sent from God. That might sound um, a bit simple, but it's what Paul says. Uh, scripture is God-breathed. The Bible it is Paul wor Paul's words and the Old Testament writer's words and the New Testament writer's words, but all of it is God's words. Not just in a kind of metaphorical sense, but in a real, tangible way. So much that Paul can say, this is God-breathed, this has come from God. These are the words of God given to us from God, and so they're special. Uh, uh, let me ask you, look, we've got loads of blue Bibles in the pews, and you're probably holding them right now. Do you think that these books are special? Do you think that the, these are from God? I mean, obviously, the, a printer has, you know, printed them out for us, but do you believe that the, the words of the Bible are from God? Because uh, the Bible, uh, uh, if the Bible is God's words, that means that they have, uh, they come with, like God, they come with his attributes. Uh, God is the authority, and so the, the Bible has authority in our lives. Uh, God is reliable, and so we can trust what he has to say to us in the Bible. God is good, and so the Bible of being his words is good as well. The Bible is special because it's from God. I recently saw a, um, a video of Chinese Christians receiving a, a shipment of um, Bibles, um, maybe from overseas, maybe some from missionaries. This guy comes in with these two absolutely enormous suitcases. He plonks the suitcases down, he unzips the suitcases, and he flips over the lid, and these Chinese Christians get absolutely wild. They run to the Bibles, they pick up the Bibles, and, and they're, they, they're, they're so excited to see the Bibles. And they're saying, thank you, thank you, this is what we need. Um, imagine if the person came in with these two big suitcases, right, and he puts them down, he unzips them, and he goes, behold what I have brought you. The signed biographies of Peter Andre. Behold, these words are from Peter Andre. In fact, every single one of these words is Peter Andre breathed, okay? 
Now, the Chinese Christians are probably not going to be very excited by that because Peter Andre's biography is not from God, it's from Peter Andre. They might read the synopsis and forget about it. How do we treat the Bible? Do we treat the Bible like it's from God or like Peter Andre? It's not from Peter Andre, obviously. It's from God. So we should treat it like it's special. So let me ask you, if the Bible's special because it's sent from God, um, is it in charge of your life? Um, in church, we can often say the right things about the, the Bible, know what to, to, to talk the talk about the Bible, but as the Bible talks, do we, do we walk out what the Bible says to us? We might say that God's word is in charge, but functionally, often, um, we know, don't we, as, as Christians, uh, the Bible might not actually be in charge of our lives. And, and we'll notice this because um, sometimes when God's word comes up against something else, um, the, the thing we want wins and the Bible loses. That means that actually what, whatever we want is functionally in charge and not the Bible. Um, one way a, a, a friend of mine put this, he's from Hull, I'm, I'm not going to do the accent, but he said, oh, people say, oh, I'm wrestling with Scripture. I'm wrestling with Scripture. As if, as if when Scripture comes up and we've got something else to say, which is contrary to Scripture, we might kind of wrestle with Scripture and we might win. This guy from Hull, he was like, no. You don't wrestle with Scripture. Scripture wrestles with you. We should never have the Bible in a headlock. The Bible should have us in a headlock. Now, look, understand me rightly. I'm not saying that the Bible's going to kind of whack us over the head. It's good. It's for our salvation. It's a gift sent to us from God. But it is the authority because it's from God. So it might be helpful to ask in your life, have you had times when the Bible has said no to you on something because in that situation, the Bible should win. And we're sinful people, so we are going to rock up against the Bible sometimes. When was the last time you and the Bible had a disagreement and the Bible won? When was the last time that the Bible kicked down the door, came in, gave you the spin kick, and then choke slammed you onto the floor? If you haven't had one of those situations recently, where the, where the Bible's won and, it's, and, and you, wanted, you had something different to say and then the Bible actually said, no, I'm in charge, then maybe speak to someone after the service because that should be happening sometimes in our lives. The Bible should be going, no, I'm in charge, not you. Maybe speak to a friend or um, your inspired group leader or a staff member about that. Uh, and, and just to be frank, often uh, for us in the West, that's um, about sex and relationships, and um, uh, wealth and money. Those kind of things are, are often, it will be other things as well, but often they're the kinds of things where the Bible actually just needs to say, I'm in charge, not you. Last point, grab me after if you want to talk about that um, some more. Last point, verse 17. And is useful, all scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We ought to be devoted to God's word because it shapes your life and mine. It shapes our lives for good. Remember we were saying that, um, I was saying that God's word is a torch. It is a torch. It shows us um, Jesus. It shows us the route to salvation. It is a torch, but it is also a gym. Uh, gyms are places where people train physically or so I am told by my colleagues. Um, but this is not a gym, 
This is not a gym to get you ripped. This is a gym to get you equipped. Check out what we're training for. We're training for righteousness. That's good living. And check out what we are being equipped for. We're being equipped for every good work. Now, don't, don't let that word slip you by. Every. Not some. No, the Bible is teaching us, is training us for every good work. Anything you could want to do out there in the world which is good, it, it starts here, training in the Bible. So, it, it, by implication, if we haven't got our heads in the Bible, when we go out there, are, are we going to be equipped for good works? No, we're not. This is a gym not to get you ripped, but to get you equipped for every good work. Uh, Paul is saying that the Bible is going to stretch us, it's going to build us, so that as we go out into the world, we're equipped to bring goodness to it. Now, isn't that attractive? Even if you're not a Christian here right now, isn't that attractive? Go out into the world and bring into a world that is often so kind of ugly and, and, and messed up, and um, just with lots of stuff going, to bring goodness to it. Isn't that attractive? We want to get out there. We want to bring goodness to our estates, to our neighbourhoods, to our city, to our country, to our world. We want our lives to be shaped for good so that we can go out there and bring goodness to it. So how will this train us? Well, as we, as we uh, draw to a close, three practical areas that I think that the Bible will train us in. First, it's going to teach us. It's going to teach us. It's useful for teaching. Um, now, that's what we're doing right here, uh, right now. Uh, and we do that every Sunday. That's why biblical preaching is our number one value. Because as we are taught on Sundays by the Bible, it's preparing us for every good work. Uh, and uh, teaching is just the process of hearing it, understanding it, letting it shape our desires, and then putting it into action. So it's from the, from the head as we hear it, to our hearts, letting it shape us, and then to our hands as we go out, uh, living out what it says to us. So, keep coming on Sundays. This is where we train together. And as you come, come ready to listen and to be taught by God's word. Apparently, when um, J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings, um, he was teaching at Oxford in um, uh, the literature department, and he was teaching a poem called Beowulf, which is an old Anglo-Saxon um, poem, which is very dramatic. It's about monsters and uh, kings, and it's all very dramatic. And it's written in Anglo-Saxon, which is like Old English. And apparently, in Beowulf uh, lectures, J.R.R. Tolkien used to come in silently to the lecture hall, You'd have, it was in the 1920s, you'd have all these students um, kind of like, you know, you know, doing whatever students did in the 1920s, like, you know, I don't know, did they have quills, you know, dipping their quills or whatever. <laughs> um, and fid just fiddling around, okay, no offence to students, but just fiddling around, okay. Apparently he used to come in silently, and he used to look out to the, the, um, the class. He used to fix them with a stare, like this. And um, he used to say the first word of the poem of Beowulf, which is this. What? Like that. You can imagine the students being like, you know, transfixed. And what, first word of Beowulf, means listen. Or, be quiet. Or, my personal favourite, translated as, attend to this. I love it. Could you imagine if I got up at the beginning of this talk and I went, what? 
get this. But that is how we should be approaching Sundays as we come. I love that. Let's not turn up as distracted 1920s students dipping our quills into our ink wells or whatever. Let's come internally in our hearts, say to ourselves, what? Listen. Attend to this. One of the best things that you could do for your spiritual life, I think, this term, might be just as simple as coming on a Sunday, switching your phone off, or coming on a Sunday uh, and just taking some time to read the scripture um, before the service starts, or maybe just bringing a pen and a paper, anything that is going to make you come on a Sunday and go, I am going to listen to God's word today. And don't, look, don't worry, we're all at different stages of understanding God's word and um, understanding the Bible and working it into our lives. That's fine, but as we come, we're here to train. We're here to be taught by God's word. And we're going to do that as we um, help each other. But when we turn up, let's get prepared to pump some iron. Second kind of practical thing, point number two, um, it's useful for rebuking and correcting. That's earlier what I was saying about the Bible sometimes is going to say no to to stuff that we come up against, some things that we think the Bible will disagree, and the Bible has got to say no to us in those cases. Um, That's rebuking. Uh, And it won't just rebuke, it will also correct. And correct is not just saying no, but it's also also bringing us back onto the path. Um, It's giving us a, a good alternative to go down. So, the Bible's useful for rebuking and correcting. I just want to point out that I think that's obviously going to happen in teaching, but it's also going to happen in relationships with one another as a church family. Um, As a church family, we ought to be helping each other um, look at our lives and look at them in comparison with what the Bible says. And sometimes, yes, it will mean that as a church family, we'll have to go, actually, I don't think that's what the Bible says, and I think you need to turn away from that, and I think you need to come back onto the right path. And that will require, as a church family, some bravery, won't it? None of us like conflict. I'm very uh, conflict-averse myself. Um, But look, as we gather in small groups or or close friends, let's be be bringing up the Bible as the standard that that we're saying no to stuff on and bringing up the Bible as stuff that we say yes to stuff on. So let me ask you, do you have people in your life, friends um, here at Inspire St. James, who know you well enough to speak that truth into your life? If you don't, um, then find some folks who are going to speak some truth into your life. And other, others of us who um, you know, are more conflict-ready and prepared, um, maybe, and let's remember that it's the Bible that is our standard. It's not us. It's not us waggling a finger at someone else. It's saying the Bible is the standard and we, and we turn away from stuff and we go towards stuff on the basis of its teaching. And in all this, let's be gracious to one another and let's be listening to one another. Lastly, and very uh, briefly, um, if this is how we are to be trained for every good work out there, let me ask you, how are you doing with your own trained schedule, just on your own? Um, do you read the Bible um, on your own? Do you read it every day? Um, are you devoted to it shaping you for every good work? Um, one thing that um, Kale has printed off for us as a church family is this um, kind of resources sheet um, with just some um, tips, um, some practical steps, and some resources suggestions on there for getting reading the Bible um, on your own. Great. 
pick it up at the end of the service. Get your training schedule kind of sorted for this week. Be exciting. Let's be, as a church, um, a, a church family that helps each other train in righteousness. So look, there we are. The Bible. What gift from God? His word that is shown to be trustworthy, that shows us the way to salvation, that is special because it's sent from God himself, and that shapes our lives for good. We should be devoted to it, shouldn't we? So that even when it's tough, even when uh, the heat is turned up on us, even when the world goes against the Bible, like the psalmist, like that man that I saw in that conference, like those Chinese Christians, and like Paul, we too can lift up the Bible and say, oh, how I love your law. Let's be devoted to the Bible.